This is the Happy Rant Sports Podcast, in which Ted Cluck and Barnabas Piper rant about old sports, new sports, sports books, sports movies, and anything else related to sports that they feel like. Enjoy. Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined, as always, in studio by Barnabas Piper. And uh, Pipe, always good to be with you on a Friday morning talking about sports. Um, we have some intriguing topics, and we also have uh, a little bit of a time limit that we're working with. So I want to get right into this stuff. But uh, I have to tell you, and I, I know we're, we're not going to talk much football today, so I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on this. But yeah, uh, we've been we've week, been football heavy for a few weeks, so we're gonna we're gonna yeah. expand our horizons a bit. Expand our horizons. Talk about some different things, some cultural uh, overlap into sports with uh, with Colin Kaepernick and Nike, obviously, but. Um, I, I have to tell you, and this this is more cultural and social than than football related. One week into fantasy football, after having not played for a decade, I can tell you without qualification that I absolutely hate it, and I'm reminded <laughs> anew of why I hate it, and and it's because of a like a very important self discovery moment that I have, and and I think what healthy normal people are able to do is look at all the disappointments in their lives and like triage the ones that are relatively insignificant and like not spend much time on those. I I lack that ability. Like for me, all disappointment is, is kind of equal in scope. So like having a baton death march of a week one in fantasy football and seeing all like Matthew Stafford, I think was legally dead for a few minutes in the third quarter of his well, game. And, against and the, as was, I think every single one of your running backs lost a limb. So every single running back lost a limb. It was, it was like the battle of Shiloh, you know, for my team this week, I've got guys without limbs. I've got Matthew Stafford, like legally dying against the New York angels of death on Monday night. And uh, yeah, I was reminded anew of just how much it ruins watching every game for me. And uh, we can we can expound on that later. I'm not going to say too much more about See, that it. That is but, so uh, funny because it's the exact opposite for me. Like a, a Lions yeah. Jets game. I mean, other than yeah. it's it's you know week one of the regular season, so I'll I'm just I'll just binge watch all football. There's not a lot of reason for me to care about that game. It's just not sure. that exciting. Those are two. I mean, Sam Darnold is a is a high draft pick. Other than that, there's not a lot of reason to care, except yeah. fantasy. If you know if there's and so it's it's the thing that gets me interested. Whereas for you, it's like that vested interest goes to the point of it's now vested disappointment. It's now vested pain. Yeah, dude, it is. It's vested pain, and it's because you're a healthy person. You know, it's because you're a you're a normal, functional, healthy person. Or I'm just on the opposite end of the scale of unhealthy, and I care about nothing. I'm not sure which. You know, just like yeah, whatever. Whereas, See, that's a defense you know, mechanism that I would like to explore. Like, I, I think that that would be tenable for me. I would I would like to get there. So maybe we can maybe I can, like, swipe my insurance card and, and lay on a chaise lounge in your office and we could do some we could do some therapy sometime. Um, yeah, maybe be, like between the be two good. of us, we could be a balanced human being. Yeah, that'd be good, man. That'd be good. Let's take a shot at it. Piper, I want to talk about something in sports that's new. And it, it's interesting, like. Given where we are as a culture and all the newness and all the technology, like the fact of the matter is you really don't get a lot of things in sports that are new. Right. Um, I want to talk about a new thing that combines two things that I really love, which is uh, 90s hip hop and 90s and early 2000s NBA basketball. Um, And what I want to talk about is a league called the Big Three. And the Big Three is a real thing that was started by the rapper Ice Cube. 
And it involves like old, old school, old timey NBA names. And I'm just looking at some of these rosters, man. And I'm realizing like, I've got to watch, I got to watch some big three games. So you suggested this as a topic. I want to know like how credit where it's due. I think a listener threw it our way and was just open-ended like, Hey, what do you think about this league? Yeah, what do you think about it, Pipe? Like, have you watched any games? Like, are they are they playing games yet? Like, what's yeah, the no, what's the deal with this? It? Is their I think this are, they're in their second season, and they have oh, you wow. know, it's televised. You can catch these. I think they're on like ESPN or you know it's probably one of like ESPN sixty seven or whatever. But mm-hmm. you know it's mm-hmm. televised. They are um, they do. I think it's usually like weekend tournaments, so it'll be like a two or three okay. day event in a city. But I mean, like nice. Brooklyn, Houston, they're playing in NBA arenas. It's not like they're playing in you know the the municipal you know, smells like cow crap because there was just a rodeo arena. Um, it's, and, and so let me, for, for, for listeners who are not familiar, let me read off some names just to get you excited about this. If you're like me, these names get you real, real excited. So dude, I can't wait for this. So there's a team, there's a team. First of all, there's a team called the killer threes, which is Uh fantastic in itself. Chauncey Billups, Steven Jackson, metal Uh world peace, Yes. John, Josh Powell. Uh-huh. Alan Anderson. Quick note about Alan Anderson. Two sports star at a small Catholic school in the Twin Cities. Uh, played against him in there high school. Go. He was excellent. Um, better football player than basketball player in high school. Ryan Hollins, if that name means anything. Mike James. He, he of the 10-day contract across the NBA who just came in and chucked. And you know who they're coached yep. by? Who? Charles Effin Oakley. Oh, dude. Oak was one of my favorite uh, 90s vintage NBA That's, players. There is so much crazy on that team. Dude, there's so much crazy. There's so many great idiots on that team. And like, I feel like there's some premium idiots just across the board in this league. I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at the tri-state team right here. Uh-huh. Um, you got Jermaine O'Neal, Amare Stoudemire, um, Bonzi Wells, one of my favorite like local idiots. He grew up in Muncie or yeah, he, he born and raised in Muncie, went to Ball State, uh, just down the road from where I grew up, uh, Bonzi's always been a, an NBA favorite of mine. Um, their coach is Dr. J, Julius Irving. Yeah. Um, so legendary NBA name there. Um, some really fun players in this league, Piper. Yeah, the and, big, big Baby Davis is in this league. And then there's a few yeah. guys like uh, Ryan Gomes and Quentin Richardson who, if you had asked me – Dude, I liked Quentin ago, Richardson. I probably yeah. would have been like those. Those guys are probably still like kicking around the NBA on one-year veterans minimum contracts. Like, and well, yeah. so, so this is not like this is not a YMCA league with like pudgy dudes and tucked-in t-shirts. All of right. these guys, like I've watched enough of these games to go, you know, they're not, they're not explosive athletes anymore the way they used to be. You know, sure. uh, Metal World Peace, Stephen Jackson. These guys were fierce, but. Yeah. Like they play good basketball. They can still shoot because that's like the last skill to go for an old guy. That and passing. Yep. They're all crafty and they're still good athletes. And it's and the thing is this is televised and they're competitors, which means they don't want to lose. Like they're not out here yucking it up. They're trying Dude, to I'm, win. I'm it's looking fun. at uh I'm looking at a team right now called the Ball Hogs. Have you looked at the Ball Hogs roster? I don't think I've made it to the Ball Hogs yet. This is fun, man. So uh I, I was going to ask you, but I, I'm answering my own question at this point. I was going to ask you if there are any white dudes in the league. And uh, the answer is yes. There's one Brian Scalabrini. There's also Chris uh, Chris Birdman. Uh, what's his face? Is oh, the yes. That I just listed. So Birdman's in the league. Yep, yep. Hard, that's hard right. to tell Birdman's if he's white because he's entirely inked over. But, you know, he used exactly. to be white. So Brian Scalabrini is in the league. And the team that Brian Scalabrini is on uh, called the Ball Hogs 
is coached by none other than one Rick Barry. So one of the most hated man in NBA history by his dude, peers. right? One of the all time like <laughs> NBA tools, you know, dating way back to like when our when our dads were watching NBA basketball when yeah, they were nobody our age. liked Rick Barry. The only no. reason people like Rick Barry is because he shot free throws underhanded, and everybody's like, "See, maybe Shaq should try that." Exactly. So yeah, this this league just has some great people in it, some really interesting people. So I hope they're pulling ratings. I hope this thing has legs. Um, You've watched games, Piper. Like, what is the what is the game watching experience like in the in the big three? And sub question: Are they ever coming to like Nashville and Memphis, such that we could like we could get credentialed for this? So I feel like this is in the this is in the wheelhouse of a media credential that uh, the Happier in Sports podcast could get. I, yes, I think it, I, I could see them coming to Memphis because two two things. In fact, they may have already played in Memphis. They it's nineties. These is like yep. 90s rough and tumble basketball players run yep. by a hip hop guy. And Memphis yep. is a convergence of a lot of that. Just like Absolutely. Cult- culturally, dirty South, rough yep. and tumble basketball. Yep. Uh, and, and, and like Memphis is a good basketball town. People there love, people there love their hoops. And so yep. I, I could see it. Do, I don't think it's going to come to Nashville. Nashville doesn't care about basketball. It's, it's, yeah. Nashville is a crappy sports town in general, ex- except for the Predators. And hockey Dude, it really is, like, is it's a weird sports town. Which is it's yeah. it's a it's a little bit like you know when people move to LA they're like nobody here really cares about the teams because there's a billion other things yeah. to do and the weather's perfect. Nashville's right. like that except really sweaty. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, the sweaty version of that. Like so. and I, I feel like Nashville attracts because of like kind of what Nashville's known for, it attracts people who don't care about sports. Right. You know, which, is, like, which is why hockey took off because it's a weird like it's not a mainstream sport. Like it used to be one yeah. of the main four, but now there's not really a main four. Hockey's kind of a, a more not like a also, hipster feel, sport. It's just more of like a regional weirdo sport. So it I feel like hockey is just more of like a thing to do in Nashville. You know what I mean? It's 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 less about like you know, your average Nashville Predators fan isn't like breaking down the game and, and like they, they didn't grow up in like, you know, Medicine Hat, Ontario, like really no, caring that's about true. hockey. Yeah, like, they're not like all oh, their defensive formations are just terrible. They're, you dude, know, yeah, they, yeah. but but they uh, they're a little bit like Chicago Bears fans where right. they're so rabid about their own team. And it's like blue and gold gear everywhere and yeah. Smashville and all this stuff. Um, Dude, right. They've been like impeccably branded yes. in, a, in a way that the Titans just have not like right. they're the they're the marketing inverse and, of and the, the Titans. fans are rabid about them. And I'm not like I think maybe 10 percent of the fans could name a player from half of the other rosters. You know, in Dude, general, I'm, I'm going to just... lay a theory on you. OK. And th- this is a Nashville sports theory. Uh, and then I want to get back to the big three because there's another interesting thing or two to say about it. My Nashville sports theory is as follows. If Nissan Stadium was a dome, I think the Titans would I think people would care a lot more about the Titans because, look, dude, the fact of the matter is, you know, 85 percent of the football season in Nashville, you know, you're you're looking at, you know, driving out to a stadium, overpaying massively for parking and then sitting in like 90 degree heat, getting baked in the sun with like 90 percent humidity. And like that's just Compared to a big HD TV in your living room where it's climate controlled and perfect, you know, that that's just not attractive. Whereas, you know, for the Preds, you know, if you're a Nashville resident, you can go and drink an overpriced beer in like a honky tonk or you can yeah. go and drink an overpriced beer in a different like 
climate controlled room and and watch a hockey game. And I just think that's part of the magic of, you know, being a, being a Predators fan. But you, you know, know how, we, you know, we were talking about when we were a couple episodes ago, we were dogging on the Titans, which, well, uh-huh. I say a couple episodes ago, that's probably been every episode. We were I talking about we do it every episode and I want to, <laughs> it's, it, it'll be our new Manziel minute since Johnny Manziel mm-hmm. seems to be on hiatus from actually playing football. Um, exactly. So it's yeah, it's the the kill the Titans minute or something like that. But the yeah. uh, the the thing that the Predators have done is like you said, it is exactly the opposite of what the Titans have done. When you go to a Predators game, there's like there's a there's a buzz, there's excitement, everybody's uh-huh. in gear, there's there's a rhythm to the game. You know, everybody knows yep. what to do and what to say when there's a penalty on the other team, when a goal is scored, when. Yep. When there's a line change, like there are these, it's 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 got a little bit of a European soccer flair too, where there's like these these uh, corporate chants that people do, and yeah. some of them are are wonderfully like crass and verbally abusive to the opponents or the referees, both of which is fun, and right. uh, and so you you get in there like you don't you don't have to care about hockey, and all of a sudden you're like I love this experience. This is the thing that I want to do more of. Like I can't I can exactly. name, it's I can a fun name, night. I can maybe name two guys on the Predators. But I'll take every chance I can to go to a Preds game. The Titans, I can name Absolutely. most of their roster, and I'm like, nah, you'd have to pay me. I'm not, I'm not yeah. going to their games, dude. Right, right, yeah, because it's uncomfortable, it's not fun, it's loud, all the things that we talked about last week. But Piper, I want to, I want to point out one guy on the Big Three website. So I'd like you to go to uh, a roster called the Three Headed Monsters. Uh, I'll give you a second to do that. Um, go to the Three Headed uh, Monsters see. page. Three-headed Monsters, great logo, kind of a lame name. But yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a um, three-headed dragon coming out of a basketball on the logo, and it's strong. All right, I'm here, dude. So the the three-headed monsters have Kwame Brown, one of the one of the monumental like uh, prep to pro busts of one all of the time. Monumental Michael Jordan ruined this guy's psyche. Exactly, stories. Michael Jordan broke this guy completely. You can still see it in Kwame Brown's expression in this picture. Yeah, like you just, can look deep into like his empty, eyes. Empty, empty, and glassy. Hollowed out like his his expression says I've been hollowed out by Michael Jordan. I like I have nothing left. But I want you to scroll up two guys from wow. Kwame Brown and look at Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, um, which is a which is an old NBA name that I loved. Yes. and also an old NBA I'm, player I loved. I absolutely yeah. loved him in his prime. Oh, most definitely, he was super fun, and uh, I'm stoked that he's in this league for a couple of reasons. Uh, he has he has really embraced the gray in his beard. And I think if you look at Mahmoud Abdul Rauf just right, he almost looks like a black Ronnie Martin in this picture. Um, except yeah, that unlike he's got unlike, crow's feet, and Ronnie has you know his youthberry has fended those off. His his youthberry has fended those off. Mahmoud, uh, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf looks like a guy who's comfortable with his age, unlike Ronnie Martin, who's massively uncomfortable with it and still <laughs> sees himself as twenty four years old, even though he's you know probably fifty. Um, I, I feel like Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf is, is – he's what Ronnie should strive for in terms of aging. Um, Do you think you know, Ronnie needs to change his name? And, you know, so – because in, <laughs> in college, Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf was Chris Jackson. Chris Jackson. Yeah, And Chris he Jackson played at LSU. LSU. And yeah. he was like – he was like the best guard in the SEC since um, – uh, what's the dude's name? We just talked about him. Uh, a former LSU guard, white dude, floppy socks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pistol uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so he, I mean, he was that like he was he was averaging high twenties in points. He was torching dudes. He was one of the best outside shooters. He could get a shot off against anybody. Converted to Islam, changed his name to Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. He was the original uh, national anthem protester, and it and it cost That's him. Right. It cost him his yes. career in the NBA. Like he he would have been a really good 
bench scorer or starting guard, depending on how the league went. He could he could torch guys, but he yeah. would he would protest during the anthem. I don't think he sat down. I think he I think he just covered his face and looked down. So he sort of he held yeah. his hands in front of his face as Muslims yeah. do when they pray, and right. and he was hated. Yeah. By 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 the masses. Now, if it, it was kind of pre-internet, so they, it was less yeah. uh, less of a big deal. But it, I mean, that was that was a guy who probably could have played another three four years as a bench scorer kind of guy, and he was kind of gone because he wasn't worth the trouble to NBA teams. Yeah. Dude, that's fascinating. Yeah, that's so interesting, and I'd totally forgotten about that like social aspect of Mahmoud Abdul Rauf's career. I just remember the basketball stuff, but uh, really, really interesting. So. Pipe, let's use that as a segue into uh, a huge story that hit, a huge story that um, really has like outcomes probably related to both of our employers in a weird way. Um, you know, it's a story that has um, just a lot of impact across the culture, and that is Nike and Colin Kaepernick. So uh, two weeks ago during week one of the college football season, Nike drops a new ad campaign, uh, the centerpiece of which is Colin Kaepernick. Um, very controversial socially. Um, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know how much I can say about this, given who my employer is and given the fact I mean, that we are a Nike school. Well, and think, uh, oh, Okay, well, I'll give the details then so you're off the hook. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, yeah. not I, just, just the details. So Nike sure, rolled sure. out this ad campaign um, <clears throat> built around Kaepernick, and the slogan was just do it even if it costs you everything. You know, there's some ads and Kaepernick's yeah. walking around looking very chic, with his sweet yeah. afro in a, you know, looks like midtown Manhattan or something like that. You know, cool looking guy. Yeah. I mean, all other things aside, one of the, one of the more cool looking athletes that we've yeah, had. I mean, he's, he wow. could, he could, he could work in fashion. He could work in television. Right. He just, he is a, he's a very pulled together, cool looking, articulate person who just, you know, he can do whatever he wants. Uh, he could also still work in pro football, given right. who some of the, <laughs> some of the quarterbacks are in the right. league right now, but you know. nevertheless, yeah. So that and well, and therein lies the crux of the ad. Colin yeah. Kaepernick very publicly was one of the first and foremost players to begin protesting during the national anthem. And I say that because he's not protesting the national anthem, which is what a certain a lot of, of our media is portraying yeah. it as. He's protesting police violence against minorities and using the national anthem as the means to do that. So he started sitting down on the bench. He was publicly chastised in a very respectful way by a former, I think, Navy SEAL, Special Forces guy, and said it would be more respectful if you knelt with your team during this time. So they can Mm -hmm. stand and put their hands over their heart. You can kneel. So this is a Navy SEAL or uh, Special Forces guy who says this. Kaepernick listens. He does this. And and other players joined him. And when his contract was up, he couldn't get re-signed. So he... He had been a guy who took San Francisco to the Super Bowl, um, yep. and I think another NFC Championship game. He he had been a, I mean, he was up and down as a starter, but a, a talented football player, and he would be one of the thirty-five best quarterbacks in the league, which means either high-end backup or low-end starter in the NFL now. I think, and right. and he can't get a job, even though yeah. even though everybody in the in the NFL world says. We can't find 30 good quarterbacks. So Nike builds this campaign around him, essentially saying, do what you must, even if it costs you everything. Do the thing you believe in. Invest in the thing you believe in, even if it costs you everything. So what's fascinating to me about this, I mean, there's the the social aspect, but the monetizing of the social aspect is the thing that I can't quite get my head around. You know, we've got, you've got yeah, people who are yeah. like burning their Nike gear. 
on yeah. the one hand. And yep. then, but then there's also people who are like buying Nike gear because they think it's a cause. And I'm like, that's a multi-billion yeah. dollar industry. They do not need your dollars. They were doing just right. fine when they were using like a generic shooting guard to promote shoes. So dude, right. it's, it's kind of, it's a, it's a really interesting mix of like ethics, social stuff, using controversy to sell things. Like, is that dirty or is that genius mm-hmm. or both? Mm-hmm. It's, it's an, it's an interesting, it's a real interesting dude, it's story. Fascinating. So yeah, this year I teach a, uh, I teach a PR writing class every, uh, every fall and you know, the Kaepernick thing hit right at the beginning of the class. So it's been, it's been on our minds and we've been talking about it a lot. And, um, I'm curious as to what you think Piper of this, just from a purely marketing standpoint. So, you know, Nike kind of throwing, throwing their hat in the social justice ring in a controversial way. Like, do you think at the end of the day, ultimately this benefits Nike? Do you think it's a debit to Nike or do you think it's, you know, the kind of thing that will blow over such that it really won't move the not, move the needle one way or another for that company. What what what's your thought on that as a as a marketer? I think I think it's a I think it's a paradigm for marketing that is really yeah, fascinating. I so I don't think yeah. this particular campaign is I mean, it's not like it's gonna make or break Nike. The people who yeah. have burned their gear, guess what? They already paid for it. It's not like they burned down a Nike store. They yeah. they burn stuff they already bought. So Nike has their money. Um yep. and and if they're going to stop buying Nike, that, that's okay. Somebody else is going to start buying Nike. Or they're going to forget about it in three weeks when Nike rolls out you know, the Air Jordan 44s or whatever. So um, it's – I don't think this campaign is going to make a huge difference one way or the other. The paradigm of attaching yourself to a social cause or a social phenomenon for mm-hmm. the sake of monetization is really – unique and interesting because that's not something big companies usually do like yeah you know even apple who is who's a very socially conscious or portrays themselves that way yeah. they don't they don't really do that they create their own narratives and stories and kind of sell those as ads so i'm yeah, yeah. I, i'm wondering like what precedent does this set so is adidas going to come out and have, you know, a lot of say, I mean, take, taking, taking other social phenomenon, things that are very meaningful stories, like a bunch of female gymnasts who have, yeah. you know, who, who have very publicly stood up to abusers. Like, is that a thing that, mm-hmm. that they will then put into a campaign of some kind? And if so, is that, is that using them? Is that honoring yeah. them? Is right. that, is that rewarding them for their bravery? I don't, yeah. I can't quite sort this out. Like I can't decide if Colin Kaepernick is being used yeah, or if he's like, he's like, man, this is, this is something I believe in and I'm getting a paycheck for it. So right, right. not good for him. So it, it yeah. that, you know, is Under Armour going to get into the politics game? You know, are they going to do something against the president or for the next candidate or something like it? I think it creates, it creates an opportunity for, an advertising and storytelling shift that is that's pretty uncomfortable and I'm not quite I'm not quite sure I like it. Dude, it really is uncomfortable and it's hard to talk about and you know the just even the college that I teach at um you know as is standard for sort of um I don't know ex- expensive Christian private colleges, you know, a lot of our diversity comes via the via the athletic teams and a couple of basketball players were hitting me up about it after the after the story broke. And, you know, they they would be very disappointed if we, you know, if we parted ways with Nike. And I, I just think it's the kind of move for Nike that like further endears them to 
you know, the biggest chunk of their market share yeah. is still sort of <laughs> urban youth. And, you know, not I, that they I ran guess, the risk of losing that that market, right. but I, I just think it further endears them. And I guess the question you know, is, is for the athletes you're describing, that makes total sense to me because, yeah. you know, if they're so I, you have not said this, I'm I'm putting this out there. If there was a dispute yeah. between, um, you know, donors to your school or alumni, you know, people people who have some influence who are yeah. uncomfortable with this Nike campaign. And then the athletes who feel that this is, you know, this is a cause worthy of being part of or a statement that they agree with. So they they would like to stay at Nike school for right. you know, basketball gear, football gear, whatever it is um, yeah. that I, I get where they are coming from. The athletes. In sure. That. Sure. Sure. My question is, though, like, does Nike actually believe this? Or are they simply using the momentum of a story? Now it's a risky thing. So it seems to me that they are they're, they are yeah. taking a side because yeah. because there's an inherent risk in this. Of course, the president came out and was like, "Nike's stock is tanking." It didn't yeah. tank, by the way. It dipped <laughs> along with the entire stock market, and then like two yeah, days later, yeah. it was right where it was. So right. you know, fact checking is important. Um, yeah, but I mean, not for us, but for the president, right? I mean, you know? if, if, you know, if you're in a position of actual power and influence, you should probably right. fact check things. Um, right. so it's, that's the thing that I'm like, it just, when you combine money with cause yeah. or money with mission, your motivations get real jacked up real fast. So I'm, Dude, I, I am I confused totally by agree. this. I'm confused by it as well. And I totally agree. And I think, even more broadly pipe and this is this is maybe a bigger discussion maybe for the actual happy rant but i think all of this is wrapped up in the kind of persona work that day-to-day people do on a day-to-day basis you know what i mean so what do you mean by not only work? i what i mean is not only are you invited to decide what to actually do with your nike gear but your decision about what to do with your nike gear becomes a part of the persona work that you do via social media yeah, because yeah, yeah. you don't just you don't just throw your Nike's into the garbage in a vacuum anymore. What what you're doing is endearing you to one audience and alienating another. Yes. Everything is and, everything is a statement. You know, we talked about on yeah. the regular episode like people are signing social justice statements. Well, you know, trashing your Nike's is signing a social justice statement. It just costs you a lot more. Absolutely. And and I see it in my classrooms, you know, and, it, and it's such a it's such an uncomfortable but yet fascinating thing to talk about in a classroom because you're seeing that even the even the comment that a student makes after he raises his hand in a discussion in a classroom, it's still persona work, you know, and like I know the girl in the class that he's trying to impress and I know what her political views are. And, you know, it's a it's a fascinating kind of do you, ever, do you ever grade on that scale be like you know yeah. it was an accurate comment but that was like a c minus right. in impressing her that was a c minus in impressing her i know the girl that you're trying to make a run at and i know that what you're saying would not would not resonate with her she so think, come she on. thinks you're a pompous douche just not that just not that into you so not the yeah, kind of pompous douche that she would like exactly <laughs> exactly well, and this i mean yeah this is definitely a, yeah I, I totally agree it's definitely a broader culture thing than nike and sports i went and met a guy to talk about um, creating audiobooks. So just a publishing yep. meeting at a local Nashville coffee house, but it's a cause coffee house. So their, yep. their proceeds go towards sponsoring children in need and providing food. And so it'd be a really good cause. Yep. And I just, I rarely think about my coffee consumption as a cause. So dude, nor do you, I, I would make the argument 
any human being only has so much so much capacity for like cause related right. things and certain certain people have more than others I, I think you and I are probably probably low on our our capacity on that spectrum so we're we're alike in that but like if I literally thought in an earnest way about every cup of coffee that I drank, I would have time for nothing else. I would, I would be exhausted. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, so, I, I feel like that's a decision you can make one time or like if you're going to order coffee. So like yeah. I order coffee from Lagaris roasters because, yep. because Hector is a friend of the podcast, starting a small business, great guy doing good yeah. things with his business. I'm like, you know what? Has great like, coffee. Yeah. You know? yeah there's yeah. also that there's a wonderfully self-serving purpose in this. But yeah. I made the decision once. I don't look for a cause every time I'm going to buy coffee or buy bread or you know buy hamburger meat. And exactly. And if I, but the problem is if I have to do that every time I go and purchase anything, I and now I understand why people live in communes and make their clothes out of burlap sacks because it's right. way simpler mentally than Dude, trying right. to choose exactly. who you're going to piss off by buying a brand. Exactly. So now like. What, the the sneakers that I wear to my classroom are, are now going to be evaluated through this prism of like, what does Cluck think about social justice? You know, I mean, it, it's it's right. stuff you, like you, that. You, you pull out your iPhone and somebody's going to be like, you know, somebody got paid like 11 cents to make that, right? And you just yeah. want to like smack them in the head with your phone and you hope it's like a plus size so that it really hurts. And it, <laughs> exactly. it just, it, these are things that, so, I mean, from a marketing standpoint, Nike is both doing a genius thing because they yeah. like we are talking about Nike and neither of us give a rat's behind about Nike as a brand. Yeah, it's for it's sure. just another yeah. brand of clothing. Exactly. Um, so they're genius in that way. But I think they're muddying the waters. And I, I mean, I think the marketplace is just it's going to get more and more confused the more people try to attach morality to commercial enterprise. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think if you compare you know, right now with like, I don't know, 1998 or whatever, uh, there are so many more things that we've attached morality to. Like coffee in 1998 was just coffee. Coffee today is a moral decision. Um, Which is ironic because morality as a whole is a lot fuzzier and less like we can't agree on what's right and what's wrong and we don't have a, like a Judeo-Christian ethic of anything anymore as a society. Dude, that's so, right. So it's, yep. it's, it's morality of self-justification and what feels good. So the Nike exactly. thing is like it's a cause I'm attached to because I, I feel part of that cause, not because I can give a rational, philosophical, or theological explanation of what is good and what is bad. Dude, that's right. And it's because in, in 2018, literally everything you do is so public. Um, if, if you're on social media, if you're in that world, like, you know, no decision that you make, no meal that you eat has to take place in a vacuum. You know, every single meal, every single cup of coffee, everything is, you know, is a part of your own image curation such that uh, you're either using it to like, you know, add to or detract from uh, your persona and your, you know, the way that you're trending. Whereas, you know, in 1998, a shoe purchase happens in a, in a vacuum, you know, you right. went to the mall and you were like, I hope I do or don't run into so-and-so at the mall as you're buying your shoes that you either are, or aren't proud of. Um, but that was largely a private decision. Well, and, yeah, I mean, and, and clothes were status symbols, but p- almost entirely based on cost. You know, yeah, if you wore, right. if, if you wore Timberland boots and I bought my boots at Walmart, like you were infinitely cooler than I was. Absolutely. If I wore Nikes and you wore Reeboks, like there was a period where you were cooler than me, but most of the time I was cooler than you. And, yeah. you know, you know, if you wore whatever it is and yep. 
and then so but but the status was all based on you know cost and popularity which is a nebulous useless thing yeah. but at least it wasn't a moral decision i never looked at a person who wore a brand of clothes and was like why do you hate children yeah but that's exactly kind, that's kind of what it's turned into it's like oh you don't like black people because you wear brand x oh yeah. you, you're a social justice warrior because you wear brand y and yeah. it's that is i don't know i that's exhausting to me, and it, it does make me just kind of want to be like, you know what? I'm just going to like cut holes in a garbage bag and wear that around. Dude, seriously, this, this very thing that we've identified is the reason that I enjoyed being alive in 1998 so much more than I enjoy being alive now. Like, <laughs> also, there was no Twitter in 1998. Dude, there, was no tw- there were so many. Also, I was like you know, the, the perfect age, and I had my whole life ahead of me in 1998, whereas now like – um, it, it, it's not the same, you know, I'm a Mahmoud Abdul Rauf and I are a lot closer in age than, uh, you know, than I am with, uh, with current professional athletes today. But Piper, we have time for probably one more topic. And I want to talk about, uh, television and, you know, you in our show notes, in our pre-production meeting, you pitched this as sideline reporter slash in-game interviews. Uh-huh. I want to take it in a little different direction. I want to, I want to obviously let you talk about that for sure. But, I want to talk about Monday Night Football and again, not because of the football, but because of like the what what used to be cultural impact of Monday Night Football versus um, the reality of this last Monday night was um, the very first Monday Night Football game. The the in booth crew was Beth Mowens and Brian Greasy. And as much as from a I'm a college professor and I would love to like champion Beth Mowens being in the booth and, and look like a real sweetie and do some persona work because of that. Like that would, that would be very easy for me to do except that listening to that crew do a Monday night football game. It was hard because not because they were really bad, but because they should be doing Tuesday maction. I mean, it was just, a, it was a context thing where, you know, I'm old enough such that like Monday night football used to be special. And it used to be like the best crew, the best matchup, the best time slot. It was really exciting and interesting. And just hearing Beth Mowens and Brian Greasy do the the very first Monday Night Football game of the season was like mind blowing to me. Your thoughts? Yeah, I I agree. Like I I I had the exact same thought of like it. We have reached the point due to our last topic where it's not really safe to criticize certain yeah, people no. doing certain jobs. So like. Saying For the record, negative. Beth Mowens is my favorite. She's the best. <laughs> She's the best broadcaster there has ever been. That's my that's my on record take on Beth Mowens. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's been brutally hard for women to to get into the broadcasting booth, especially a nationally televised game in the America's most popular sports league. So yeah. that there's a genuine that's a real thing. However, she's not Monday Night Football announcer. Good. She, Dude, and, and to be fair, neither are Joe Tessitore and Jason Witten. No, although although they're better than last year's crew of Sean McDonough and, and whoever was yammering alongside him. Like, McDonough David. put me to sleep. Yeah. He was just yeah. boring. Yeah. Tessitore is at least a good, like... Tessitore is a good broadcast. Middle-of-the-road play-by-play yeah. guy. Witten is just... He's a little dry. There's not a lot of... Com- I mean, at the same time, you know, maybe by week eight they'll be better. They haven't done this before yeah. together. So, but, but yeah, it, it felt like a... That was a high energy announcing crew who they clearly mm-hmm. loved football and they didn't they didn't like botch the game. They didn't say dumb stuff. But yeah. Yeah, it was just like Monday Night Football is supposed to be the it's the football game with gravity 
It's a game of yeah. it's the game of the week. Although I guess that's yeah. a little bit more Sunday night now, but it is a yeah. game of the week. And yep. and yeah, they felt like if I tuned into the Big Ten Network and I saw the University of Minnesota playing uh, Nebraska, and they were announcing, I would not bat an eye. Yeah. And and they would be that that's kind of the right fit for the. And in fact, I think Brian Greasy was you know he was a college football announcer for like mid-level games for a long time. Yeah, the, the mid-grade Big Ten game on the Big Ten network. Yeah, you don't bat an eye at Beth, at Beth Mowens and Brian. So it, it has that more to sense. do with, it has, yeah, it has more to do with like gravitas. It's Content. a little bit like going to a yeah. five-star restaurant and then being like the special of the day is the bacon cheeseburger. Yeah, you yeah know, I a love bacon a good, cheeseburger. I love a bacon yeah. cheeseburger at Five Guys. You know, yeah, not exactly. like I'm, I'm here for the seared salmon. You know, like there's, there's, yeah, there's, these yeah. are different things. Yep. No, you're so right, man. And that's a that's a great way to put it. Um, Pipe, what did you uh, what did you have in mind when you pitched this sideline reporters in game interviews topic? Because I want to hear your take on that with the short time we have left. Well, speaking of wanting to hear takes, that was essentially what I wanted is just so a listener pitched this is just sort of like a what do you think about? And I was like, you know, I don't know what I think about. But the so every for years, football games have had sideline reporters historically it has been sort of the, 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 it's like the attractive newscaster who gives updates on injuries. They've changed that up and actually put more skilled broadcasters who know the game better down there. And, um, not just, not just people who are there sort of for the, the aesthetic, let's say the, the broadcasting version of a cheerleader. Um, and they call them, they call them on field analysts now instead of Mm sideline reporters Baseball yeah. has moved to this thing where they start doing in-game interviews in the dugout with managers Dude, it, and players, which yeah, it feels to me like it's just baseball throwing throwing things at the wall to see what sticks because they're like, man, people think our games are boring. Maybe if we have boring people say more boring words, they'll like the game more. <laughs> exactly. um, especially if we can interrupt the action to do it. Genius. Yeah. Yeah. So there's th- that. That's part of this. So I just in general, I. I find that they add almost no value to the game ever. Yeah. With, no, the, ex- you're, you're, with the exception of injury reports. Yeah. That's yeah. it. No, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right, Piper. And yeah, I want to, I want to take a kind of a two tiered approach to this one. Um, the in-game baseball interview is fascinating. So I, I basically just started watching baseball this year. Um, and it was a thing that I noticed them doing right away. And to me, it's just a, it's baseball sort of throwing up its hands and acknowledging like we have so much time to kill here. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like playing a game with your kids on a long car trip. It's like, you're just trying to kill the time. You're trying to fill hours. (laughs) It's the baseball version of the alphabet game. That's what the in-game interview is. Yes. It's the, it's the baseball version of, ah, dang it. You know what? I I spy with my little eye, a manager who's going to use cliches. Exactly. We've listened to all our CDs. We've still got an hour and a half left of this trip. And let's just let's see what this guy has to say. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's so crazy to think that in the middle of a pro sports game where people are being paid like ungodly millions of dollars to decide the outcome, you can just snag this guy. Hey, hey, buddy, you got a second? You know, let's just vamp. Let's chat. And uh, only in baseball could that happen. Um, but I wonder what would happen if it happened in other sports. Like, what if you grabbed Bill Belichick during a Patriots game 
and asked him some questions. Like he would kill you. I mean, they, he would end your life. I, I think baseball kind of got the idea because they always do it, you know, heading into halftime, you know, the yeah. halftime interview. And to be fair, those have created some of the most entertaining moments in broad, like sports broadcasting history. They have. they have. But it's like one in a million. You know, most of the time it's like Brad Stevens going, you know, we just got to do what we do better. And, yeah. you know, being very genteel and kind. And then occasionally yep. you get Greg Popovich, you know, just giving Doris Burke the business and, and yeah. you know, being like, <laughs> Doris, that's the dumbest question I've ever heard. I'm never going to answer that. And, you know, and that's, you know, amusing because it it, yeah. they're both they're both really good at what they do. And so it's a little bit more right. like sparring. Yeah. What I think they need to do is like is do like a live to tape thing on those where they record them and then they decide during the commercial break. Uh, yeah. that one was dumb. We're not going to air that. So then they have some other like canned highlight content or like, Oh, let's recap the first half, which is right. nobody's paying attention at halftime anyway. So yeah. it doesn't matter. But yeah, those are, but that's what baseball did is they were just like, Hey, let's, let's try to do that. Except it's, it's just the beauty of baseball is the spaces in the game. Like it's, yeah, it is sure. a methodical yeah. spaced game it's i mean it's it's not unlike yeah. golf in that way where there's just like exactly there's, there's Dude, these, that's these, why you love it though yes that's i mean if if, if you hate that about baseball like don't change the don't game. watch a baseball Go watch game. something else watch a different sport yeah. entirely yeah exactly and uh you, you have to embrace the slowness and the quiet and the and the blank spaces and to be honest like one of the things that i've enjoyed the most about being a baseball fan this year and kind of re-embracing the sport is that as our as our culture becomes increasingly loud and cluttered, ba- watching baseball is a way to declutter. And, uh, and I've, I've enjoyed that, just that headspace, like just getting into the baseball headspace. And, um, yeah, I mean, maybe what they should do to, to, you know, placate these fans is, um, periodically cut away to just a football game. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then, and then come back from time to time well, just, when there's I, like, I, I feel like, I mean, what baseball doesn't understand is that they are trying to, they're like, we, we need to attract new fans by not being what we are. I mean, it's, it's like when McDonald's yeah, was by like, not we being need, a baseball game. McDonald's is like, right. you know, what we need to do sell salads and smoothies. Like, you know what, yeah. you know what you do? Well, cheap burgers cheap, and fries. Burgers. So yeah, just exactly. find more people who want more of that stuff. Like it's, yep. it's not, it doesn't work to change the game. That's dumb. Yeah, exactly. No, I couldn't agree more, Pipe. I'm uh, I'm in a hundred percent agreement on that. Before and, we, uh, I know we have to go in a minute, and I'm just yeah. telling friends that I'm going to be late for the meeting. So uh, yeah, I, this is more important than whatever I have coming up next. Um, there you go. I need to know how you are surviving the end of a baseball season. So your your first invested season as a baseball fan. Yeah, selected the Seattle Mariners. They yep. were in the yep. playoff race. And now, like two months later, they are not. They're just, Dude, yeah, they're it, just it, not a very good team. To be fair, they were more than in the playoff race. Like they were incredible. When I came on board with the Mariners, they were in like an epic hot streak. They were incredible. They were fun to watch. Like everybody's going crazy with their Mariners. There was all this positivity. And yeah, they they have fallen apart. And you know, I think th- this is not a sexy answer, and it's not super interesting, but. Really, the way I'm dealing with that is just football starting. And I'm such a football person that, you know, the Mariners could arguably be, I mean, they could be as good as they were when I signed on. And I'd, I'd still be excited and I'd be interested. But, like, I would, have, I, I would have mostly lost interest in them by this point anyway. So, I mean, I think and this speaks to a larger conversation. And we, we should have it on another show where you're not going to be, like, epically late for your meeting. But, um <laughs> 
I, I really think pipe that the best thing to come out of this baseball fandom for me was just the enjoyment of watching baseball for what baseball is. So not even necessarily watching baseball for oh the Mariners are winning. The Mariners are winning. Therefore I'm enjoying it. It's more, I'm watching baseball and I'm enjoying it. And I totally that being agree. said, it's, like, it's tw- more fun when they're yes. winning, but yes, um, it's that, still fun. As a twins fan, I have limited experience with success but success yeah. in baseball is stressful. Like being yeah. mediocre is way easier. You know, sure. Seattle is kind of perpetually mediocre as well. But yep. yeah, between the months of like April, May, and then through July, it's just sort of the it, it's sort of the soundtrack of summer. It's it's That's a right. and so being a fan, like if if you're a deeply invested baseball fan who's like rising and falling in every game, and this player's performance and that player's like it, it gets really tiring. Yeah. You know, but to kind of drop in periodically, have a game on in the background at night, sit out on the deck yep. and listen to a game, like whatever it is, that's, yep. I love that. And dude, I love it too. I love it so much. And it's the perfect, I, I would argue it's the perfect sport for a college professor because your summers are more languid. They're still busy. You know, you're still doing stuff, but like I could get up in the morning and watch a game recap or two every morning, not feel guilty about it. Kind of take my time getting going and, you know, now that the semester's back in full swing, I have no time and I and I hate my life. But like and now football's um, better because it happens on the weekends, which is the only time you might have a, a spare few. Dude, hours. Exactly. Football happens at night and it happens in the weekend. So, you know, I can have a shot at like enjoying some of that. But uh, but no, man, I mean, as much as I would love for the Mariners to have continued on their hot streak. I mean, they are what they are. They are a middling team. And, you know, I didn't want to pick one of these front runners. I didn't want to pick one of the like four teams that's always in the world series that would have been dumb and, and boring. So, um, I'm still glad to ride with the Mariners. Although I've had, uh, I have to, I have to throw some love to my friend, Kevin Rankins. Um, not, not many friends get named and shouted out on the program, but, uh, Kevin is a good friend. Kevin is a diehard Tampa Bay Rays fan. Um, Kevin has been like cranking up the Rays propaganda machine for me to try to get me to, to, to sign on with Tampa. And, uh, I have to tell you, there's been, there's been some temptation, Less because of what Tampa is and, and their ceiling and more because of just um, they, they have a crappy old dome. And as as we've discussed ad nauseum, I'm a I'm a fan of crappy old dome stadiums. So um, just re- so, just yeah. remember, they're going the route of the Mariners, which was from a crappy old dome to a new stadium. I mean, that's that the, yeah. the Rays are going to do that or they're going to be in a different city. So, dude, exactly. There's going to be more. You more can't time hang your hat on that. It's going away. Dude, you're right. You're absolutely right. And um, if they were to like change cities, then, you know, Kevin would be shopping for a new team as well. So there's a lot of moving parts in this. It's just uh, best to stick with your team. Like once you have a team, you just especially with baseball, because it's a super long season, it's ride or die. Like the peaks and valleys are not nearly the same unless you're a Red Sox or a Cubs fan prior to winning the World Series because you're always always the bridesmaid, never the bride. The rest of us are like, ah, we're just bored at the wedding. So I hope that I hope the food is good at the reception. Dude, yeah, and there's so much I like about being a Mariners fan. There are so many players on that team that I still really enjoy watching play baseball, and I, I think that's another ingredient in the your team stinks now, but like there's still pleasure in it. Like if you enjoy the players, if you like watching the players, if you like the GM, um, you know, there's there's a lot still to like there. So um, so yeah, man, I appreciate the uh, the Happy Rant community for helping me enjoy baseball this summer, and uh, it's been a it's been a fun ride, man, and hopefully more. Many more great years to come on that level. But uh, Piper, we have done 
what we always do on this program. Uh, this has been fascinating. It's been a good discussion this morning, and we have uh, we have most definitely wandered to and fro. So, pour yourself some uh, some issue free Lagaris Roasters coffee. Um, their their cause is <laughs> guilt free coffee. coffee, guilt free politics free coffee from Lagaris Roasters. You can enjoy that regardless of what side of the aisle uh, you are on politically. It is uh, just a great cup of coffee. And uh, Piper, until next time, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Our world can feel chaotic and uncertain, but we don't have to live enslaved to fear. Christ has promised me and you his peace and throughout scripture has provided powerful tools and practical steps to help us experience greater freedom. I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, inviting you to join me and my team as together we learn how to starve our fears and feed our faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com or wherever you access podcast content.